Every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. This is what it is. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. Mm -hmm. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing, we want different voices, we want different races, we want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm actually just super excited to be part of the world of voiceover today. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. We lie on the floor flopping around like a, like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, I hope he pitches me to whoever they read. Like, if you think that way, then they're mm -hmm. not really your friends or peers, and you're just trying to use yeah. people. Yeah. She pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that know, makes sense. That makes sense. you got to watch the bridge, though. <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. It's never give up and be the most persistent person in the room. It's always those that are the last ones standing. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're talking about freelancing and specifically that transition from full-time employment to becoming a freelancer, because that's a very interesting challenging, actually sometimes intimidating step. Well, more of a leap, actually. And we're joined by two fantastic people, Trish Bassani and Peter Bishop, two very, very experienced voice talents. And they have very interesting stories concerning how they transitioned from full-time employment to freelancing. But before we get to that, you thought I was alone, but I'm not. I'm joined by a living legend, a voiceover mensch. He's a Michelin-starred voice actor, coach, producer, <laughs> frequent flyer. It's J. Michael Collins. I was looking around <laughs> when you said living legend because I wasn't <laughs> sure who you were talking about, but uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here, Jamie, and to be back on the podcast and to have and to have my voice not sound like the Crypt Keeper today, right? Um, yeah. which it did the last time I was on. So yeah, you're sounding a little healthier <laughs> Pleasure today. To be here. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for coming. I thought I'd give you that overblown intro just to uh, freak you out. I, mean, I just, yeah, you know, I, I, my tail wags when you pet my ego like that. So. <laughs> oh, okay, you liked it. All right, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd start salivating when I said Michelin-starred voice actor. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting hungry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I was, I received this cryptic message from you saying you wanted to come on and have a chat. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, I did. You know, I heard that you're you're dedicating this episode to freelancers and people who are making that transition, and this kind of ties in with that just a little bit. And. Yeah. Uh, that is the fact that I, I've I've launched a new venture among the many that I seem to get my hands into <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> this is with uh, Gravy for the Brain, who some of you out there may be familiar with, um, the training organization that was based uh, originally in London. And uh, you guys have seen them at conferences and different events all over the U.S. for the past couple of years. And 
just in the past uh, couple of months now, we have launched Gravy for the Brain USA, which I am going to be the face of uh, for cool. localizing and um, developing content for the U.S. market. You know, Hugh and, and and Peter Dixon, who I think you've met at some point, Jamie, if I'm, if I'm correct. Have you run into them? I, at I don't think before? we've actually met, weirdly enough. Like, even though we're British voice actors, you'd think we'd all know each other, but not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, we don't know the it's Queen. It's just a little <laughs> tiny island. I Come know. on, man. <laughs> just uh, a few... <laughs> tens of millions of people <laughs> well a lot of people in the industry have met them because yes. they've been at vo atlanta the last couple of years they've That's been right. at wovocon uh and, and other places and uh, you know i think i'm like a lot of people when they first uh landed on our shores um I, you know I, I was ready to man the boats and uh throw the tea <laughs> overboard and then see if we what are, what, are, what are these two people doing they're from british what are they doing here uh, <laughs> but they want a lot of us over because they're they're not just good guys they genuinely care about the industry and the quality of the content that they were offering through gravy for the brain um i think quickly got a lot of people's attention in in how comprehensive it was and how much it, it approached the industry with the voice actor in mind and you know not just a a cold profit motive and uh over time, um, they've realized with the, the positive reception they've gotten in the UK market that, well, maybe it was time to look to different chores. Yeah. So how is that going to manifest over here then? Well, what we're doing in the US market is, uh, you know, things that a lot of people have continued to feed back to them over the years is that even though they have done a good job of integrating into the U.S. market and building an understanding of that market, that their content did st still seem a little bit U.K.-centric. So yeah. what I'm doing, my role is I'm coming in and we're redoing all of the video content that they have module by module with myself and Hugh. It was Peter Dixon and Hugh for the U.K. market. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it was a little dubious when they said they were going to put me on camera, but it doesn't look as bad as you think uh <laughs> but uh so so I'm, I'm doing all of their modules with them on camera making it relevant to the u.s market uh and then we're going to be creating new content for the u.s market that's specific to talent who are looking to build within within the country um they've developed an escrow service now uh, and i know people get terrified when you hear escrow because we think of the uh the site that shall not be named yes um <laughs> <laughs> but what this voice is is a volunteer. Yeah, the voice of more. <laughs> <Like that. laughs> Just um, came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we we the escrow service that Gravy for the Brain is offering. It's something that is um, obviously you know there, there's no casting system at the moment, so it's it's totally voluntary. Right. Uh, it's something that if you feel the need to protect yourself, if you mm. are in a situation where you have a big job come through, but you're concerned about getting paid, uh, you can use this service. The fee is negligible for um, most of the applications that it has. Uh, if you go on, you can see a table of what the charges are, all very upfront. Um, but it's a way to protect yourself. It's probably not something you're going to want to use on jobs that are paying a couple hundred dollars. Right. But if you're if you're getting into something that either you don't have an agent um, or you don't have an agent that's comfortable or, or capable of handling that particular job, you know, if you've got something that's that's a long e-learning 20, 50, 100,000 words, and it's paying you, you know, 2,000, 5,000, 
$20,000, whatever it might be. Um, that may be something where you want to make sure that you have the, the security of getting paid without necessarily having to tell the client you have to come out of pocket completely up front. Right. So they're offering this escrow service to talent who want to use it. There is a database called The Void, which is also how my wife refers to my stomach from time to time. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it's, and it's, it's not just Michelin star stuff that goes in there either. It's a fair share of cheese fries and other cheese-based substances. Right. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the Void is an um, interactive database. In fact, that's what it stands for, VoiceOver Interactive Database. Uh, it's a resource that you can use to go out and, uh, and, and just discover more resources to build your business as, you know, again, going back to the theme of your podcast today as a freelancer, um, it gives you access to potential marketing avenues. And then if you need support services as a talent, those are available there as well. Okay, fantastic. So before we sign off, any final thoughts before we head over to the other two? <laughs> Mr. Bishop and Ms. Bassani, and give them my regards. Uh, no, that, that's that's about it. I appreciate you having me on. I think, you know, this is... People in the industry know me. You guys know I'm not a hard sell guy. I'm not, nobody's trying to shove anything down your throat. This is a resource that's there if you're interested, if you need it. It's a at a reasonable price point. Um, I, I will throw out there a little offer for uh, anybody who's listening to the podcast here. So the, the normal rate for Gravy for the Brain USA is $49 a month. Uh, and if you... If you act now, that's not actually the case. We're going to have this code up there for a while, but, and it's gravy V five. So if you enter the code gravy V five, uh, that will take the rate down to $35 a month for you. Uh, and, uh, I'm not sure when they're going to pull that, but as far as I know, it's going to be out there for a little while. So feel free to sign up if you feel like it, uh, and see what we're all about. And the cool thing also is that you're not locked in for a year membership or anything like that. You can sign oh, that's up for a month. We're not going to rebuild your credit card. And uh, if you want to take off after that, then you're more than welcome to do so. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah. And especially all the additional resources as well. I'm sure that's going to be really useful for a lot of folks. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Jimmy. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Okay, so we're going to have a couple of quick ads and then we're going to get to our interview with Peter and Trish. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, mix, and record up to four locations at the same time, including phone patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. So, for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. All right, so today I am joined by Trish Bassani and Peter Bishop. We are talking about freelancing, so welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining me. You're sure. welcome. All right, so we're going to talk about freelancing and how we get to this point and the various benefits and drawbacks of that and that process. But I first want to find out what 
kind of voiceovers you both do right now and then we're going to skip back in time so trish what do you do in the voiceover world well, I I guess I do a little bit of everything. I'm doing, you know, towards the end of the year, I do a ton of commercial work because I'm, you know, kind of in the retail market. Mm. Um, but uh, the rest of the year um, is just kind of a, you know, mix up of a little bit of everything. I do apps. Um, I do a lot of corporate narration, um, like short corporate narration, two to three minutes, um, like internal stuff for a lot of companies um, that for, you know, uh, meetings and you know new uh, product launches like to uh, introduce them to employees and whatnot you know um, yeah. and so yeah I mean I you know a little a little you know and the occasional erotica <laughs> <laughs> don't we all <laughs> just kidding um, <clears throat> but yeah so you know a little bit little bit of here and there you know I do some phone messaging. Um, you guys know how it is. You, oh, you know, yeah. if somebody comes to you and you wants it and wants you to do it, you do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Peter? Well, I, I think there must be some parallels between us because we're both um, Brits in the American market. Yeah. I can't get arrested for commercial work. I've done a few, mm. um, but you're not going to find me on the TV or the radio um, plugging wheaty flakes or anything like that. <laughs> Um, most of my stuff is corporate and industrial. A lot of e-learning. Um, I've just been doing some nice uh, stuff in studio in the city, actually, for uh, a medical company where I'm the off-screen doctor. So cool. um, that's good stuff. Um, but it's it's 90% of my work is corporate, industrial, e-learning, that sort of thing. Um, I get the occasional foray. I, I've done a few Brit radio ads because it's uh, mm. it's surprising how many British companies use American res resources. Right. Uh, yeah. Was that resources <laughs> um, to like um, advertising agencies, and then the advertising agency uses a U.S. production house, and the U.S. production house starts saying, uh, "Where are Brits?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Um, you must have come across the same thing. So I, I've yeah. I've done adverts for UK local radio from here, which seems ridiculous. But yeah, it's really funny when you're talking about like Peterborough or somewhere yes, local like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, fly today from East Midlands Airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I'm feeling really left out right now. <laughs> <laughs> but most of it, I say. What do we mention? Trenton. Yeah, <laughs> Trenton. <laughs> Or uh, how do you pronounce, pronounce some of those I names out there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh no! Wait, wait till you get up in my area. It's Hopakong. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I'm on Long Island, so I have a lot of the uh, Indian names. Um, yeah. Uh, the native Native, native American. American names. Sorry. <laughs> um, get it right, Peter. I'm still thinking of John Wayne movies. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying so, to wrap my head around. Is it the Schuylkill River near Philadelphia? Schuylkill. Schuylkill. Okay. Okay, no, still got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. School, down yeah, there. school kill. But that's not just um, Native American. That's Native American with a Philly accent. So yeah, really, you got no no chance. <laughs> a whole different world. And Peter, you're also president of Wovo. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Wovo is and what you do there? Uh, world Voices is an industry advocacy organisation. We provide uh, mentoring to our members. Um, we 
accept everyone. We have pro members and associate members. Um, so we like to have a, a helping community. Um, what we like mainly is to try and educate people about mm. what's going on in the business because there are a lot of bright-eyed newcomers that are fodder for the people that want to dip into their wallets. Let's yes, put it bluntly. Absolutely. There are a lot of people out there that uh, see, oh, it's like fresh meat, fresh meat. We yeah. want to give those people, I mean, it's a standard expression I use, is the ability to make educated business decisions. Mm. Because going to a coach or signing up for someone to do their demo could actually be a very good thing for you if you do it at the right time with the right person. But how do you know that? That's right. So um, we like to connect our more seasoned members with the newer members, with mentoring programs, that sort of thing, um, just to help people out. And also for uh, our professional members, um, we can connect them to other professional members for anything from uh, technology to technique to taxes and accounting. Because yeah. running a VO business, the word business is bigger than VO sometimes. Yeah, um, definitely. You have to be able to sell and charge for what you do because it is a career. It, it's not a hobby job. Um and we just like to put people on the right path. And, of course, we have WovoCon every year. Everyone has a conference nowadays. But yeah. <laughs> ours is the best. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's very apropos for what we're going to be talking about today, actually, and transitioning from one industry into voiceover. Um, yeah. And Wovo could be a real f help to facilitate that, I would you know, based on what you're saying there. Yes, I, I like to think so, because one of the things I always... I've actually given a, it was a conference years ago. I did Ascension, uh, a session, Ascension, speak much. Um, uh, a session you ascended? On, yeah, I ascended. I ascended to the, to the pulpit and preached about <laughs> what do you bring to the table? Yeah. It was all about people coming in from somewhere else the second time around us. Uh, and if you've come from a medical background or a tech background there are a lot of tools there that you can use in vo but i'm sure you're going to be getting onto this so I yeah want to... no no that's good um well i would like to go back in time a little bit or maybe a, a lot of time because <laughs> i know you guys have been doing voiceover for a little while now um and i want to talk about the careers that you were in before you transitioned into voiceover um so trish what were you doing before this and then we're going to later on maybe talk about that how you transitioned so what was it you were doing beforehand uh i was doing two things i was mostly for my bread and butter i was in corporate accounting fun mm. fun fun <laughs> um and uh i had done that for and, and yeah i was in that for quite a while um and then in 99, 1999, I got into radio. Mm. Um, and so I, I was I was in radio part time. And that was, you know, it didn't pay. If anybody, anybody that comes from radio knows it does not pay very well, especially right. in the smaller markets, uh, which I was in tiny. I was in market 247 uh, in New Jersey, uh, which is really small. And um, I really loved it. But and I was on the air and, you know, doing board op work and a bunch of, you know, fill in work. But um, I, for a full time paycheck, I was uh, working at various companies, you know, uh, 
throughout the years. And then in 2004 is when I went full time with voiceover. Cool. So was radio kind of like your gateway drug into voiceover? It was definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I had a friend uh, hear me on the air. And um, he was actually my he was my swing dancing partner. His name was Mike. Um, I I used to I used to do swing dancing like years ago. I still do it occasionally. But um, I was we were he was my dance partner. And um, so he heard me on the air one day and he was he actually stopped by the station and he's like, you know, you should really like look into voiceovers. Yeah. And I'm like and this was in like 2000. Um, maybe 2000, like early, early 2001. Mm. And um, he, he was like, you should really check it out. And I was like, voiceovers? Like, what's that? Yeah. You know, like I had no idea. And he's like commercials and stuff. And he's like, you know, we, we live in the shadow of New York City. He's like, it's a big commercial market. Mm. He's like, you should check it out. And so I went online and did the research and of course the internet was a very different place back in you yeah. know 2000 2001 so um i found a course that and and the the woman that was teaching it just happened to be located in new jersey although it was kind of it was it was an an uh, um it was on the phone. So it was like a conference <laughs> yeah. line where there was like eight students and then the oh. teacher and yeah, it was so it was so long ago that like she I, she had a website, but like once I sent her, I had to send her my mailing address and she mailed like snail mailed me the <laughs> audition script. I, I'll never forget it. It was on this bright yellow piece of paper and it was a, a Wendy's um bacon cheeseburger ad and you had to call a phone number to leave to read this this script and leave your audition on the voicemail oh yeah and then she would call you back and tell you if you were in the course or not so (laughs) yeah that was that was quite a yeah (laughs) that was kind of how things got started what was the motivation for you to jump from well maybe you didn't jump but you were still in your accounting world and then you wanted to get into radio what was the motivation for the radio switch i did that in college um i did i i well i didn't do that i actually was um i wound up at both colleges that i went to i wound up being best friends or really good friends with uh, the radio station manager on campus. Mm. So, it, and it kind of—I I didn't kind of plan it that way. It just kind of happened to be. It was like I became friends, uh, really good friends, with this guy Sean at the first college that I went to. He had a heavy metal show, and he was also <laughs> the manager of the radio station on campus. Um, and he would let me sit in the studio and kind of hang out, and I just liked the environment. Yeah. So you've never really been too far from a microphone. No, I guess. I mean, he didn't really put me on the air too much, but um, I got put on the air on my, my the second college. My my friend Patty was the manager and the morning show host mm. of the campus radio station. And she she put me on the air a few times. And I was like, I really like this. And a couple years went by. I left college. I got into the workforce full time. And I was in an office and I I was freaking bored. So I'm like, I need to figure out what I'm doing. Um, 
So because I wound up, you know, I, I left college before I graduated. I just couldn't see spending the money when I wasn't really sure what I was wanted to do. So a mm. uh, couple years went by and then I just had this weird thing like kind of pop into my head. And I'm like, I wonder about like, I wonder what radio would be like to get into. And yeah. All of a sudden, without going into the entire story, my brother made a a, a random, to me, it was fate, but um, a random phone call from my brother, uh, whom I, we never didn't get along, you know, like we we never hated each other, but we we had very different lives and Mm -hmm. um, we didn't really like talk that much at that point because I was out of the house. I didn't live with my folks anymore. So it was just kind of a random phone call from my brother and the rest is history, like I said, without going into too much detail but um it's it was it was meant to be um one thing led to another and all of a sudden here i am 14 years later full time <laughs> yeah i love that that's a great story um what about you peter how did you get into this world? well what were you doing before you got into this world should i no, should I, ask? I i'm obviously well people may not actually realize that i'm just a little bit older than trish so uh, right. yeah <laughs> I, I just have to throw in a comment as well. The thought of Trish doing a morning show is... No, we know she's not a morning person. Yeah, so. she made that very clear when we were scheduling this. That's, that is amusing. No, I left um, uh, full-time education and went into uh, tech apprenticeship and that sort of thing uh, in telecommunications. Um, right. Believe me, I could wrangle decibel notation um, by the time I was 18. I mean, this stuff is second nature to me. Also at the time, um, uh, being a frustrated and absolutely totally useless musician, but wanting to be in the band scene and everything, I ended up as the sort of uh, local engineer. I used to uh, record the bands, had a mixing desk, um, Revox, a couple of mics, cross mic, the whole um, setup. So I used to record the bands do the demos and you know at the same time there in my early 20s you know i knew recording techniques you know all those things that people Mm. glaze over with about you know phantom power and mic placement and Mm -hmm. the difference between condensers and dynamics and and compression all that sort of stuff back in my 20s i I knew that as a baseline so that's that was my baseline so moving on from uh, the tech job i had after a couple of uh, bits and pieces. I moved into the uh, um, communications in the air transport industry and spent uh, 25 years with the same company coming up through the ranks in this big multinational dealing with data communications and computer systems, basically. Mm. Um, during that time, they transferred me to the States, which is why I got here. But by 2004, I had enough. I mean, I was quite high up in the company, senior management, Mm. and I was doing a lot of presentations at very senior level, um, selling massive projects or giving updates to up to government ministerial level, that sort of thing. Also, during that time with the company, because it had a strong policy of hiring internally. So I came Mm. from engineering and comms, and I spent a few years in the training department developing and delivering uh, training courses for the for the company. Um, 
So I could always stand up and talk to people. Uh, there was no mm. problem with that to convey information. Um, but in 2004, I, I'd had enough of the corporate stuff. I'd done 25 years um, with the company. And it was time to leave. So I ran screaming for the hills. <laughs> um, yeah, corporate BS. You just get to a point where it's either going to kill you or you run away. Um, so yeah. I opted for running away. Straight um, into the arms of corporate narration. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I spent a couple of years wondering what I was going to do, uh, right. half-heartedly trying to find something else in the business that suited my professional level. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, right. You try getting a job when you're that age, <laughs> at that level. Um, <laughs> and this was um, while you were in the UK still? or had you No, moved I, just, over to America I, I transferred. They, they brought me over to the States in the uh, late 90s. Right. So okay. I was actually out on Long Island at the time. Um, and it's okay. Well, you know, you're the same thing with you. It's sort of okay here. So yeah. you, you stay. You <laughs> That's <know>. fine. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although, no, let's not get into let's that. Let's not get into the politics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so for a couple of years, I did nothing. Um, but I was in an environment where it was very supportive of um, trying your hand at whatever you wanted to do, follow your dreams, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, uh, my family situation, uh, we had a a young aspiring actor who was really very good. So I was actually taking him into the city for auditions and that sort right. of thing. Um, coincidentally, at the same audition places that I'm going to now occasionally. <laughs> um, but it gave me the feel for it and and... I'd gone through years, and as I'm sure you did, every time you open your mouth, everyone says, oh, you've got a lovely voice. Yeah. Um, I learned to mumble in diners when ordering. Yeah, just don't ever oh, order water. Oh, wasn't it a shame about Princess Di? Oh, <laughs> I don't want that conversation again. Yeah. Um, so it, I was convinced that it wasn't just the accent that I actually did sound okay. Mm. So... In 2006, it was a case of, what the hell, let's go for it. And I've been full-time ever since. That's great. So there wasn't really a crossover then. You left your job and then fell into voiceover after a number of years sort of Yeah, a couple of years it. I tried. I, I, I tried to... I tell you what's even worse than trying to get a job in VO. You try doing a photography business. That's... <laughs> well... No, it's... <laughs> no, don't waste your time. Trying to do stock photography. Oh, uh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's that the had same a window. Thing there. That had a window, right, where everyone was making yeah. money doing stock photography, and then. But there are some parallels there as well, because yeah. there are lots of professionals trying to do it. But there mm. were also the soccer mums coming home, laying out their shopping on their table and photographing everything. Yeah. So, in the same way, it's a case of um, whether you want to call the market uh, opened up to everyone or. The hobbyists really started digging into the paychecks of the professionals, yeah. Um, because stock photography, there's got millions of photographs out there. Now, oh, god! Yeah. Most of them come from uh, people that just photograph everything. Especially, yeah, especially with uh, yeah. the cameras on iPhones now being so great. Anyway, right. let's not talk about photography. No. <laughs> Trish, <laughs> Trish, was there a crossover with you with your accounting work and voiceover, or did the radio sort of fill that gap? 
Um, no, yeah, there definitely was. Uh, I was doing everything. I right. like. I, I remember my life was absolutely nuts um, for a few years there when I was working a day job five, five days a week and sometimes six days a week because in the accounting world during tax season it's it's crazy. So. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, in you know, after I got the training in like 2000, that first training, I actually started working with uh, a full. In 2001, I started working with um, a, a commercial coach, like uh, like solidly, like in person. I was going into the city on a weekly basis, mm. and um, she kind of got me ready for um, my my demo. Leslie Bailey, she is now, but she was um, Leslie Friedman at the time. She oh, lived in New yeah. York, and she was a casting director for Mikhail Barone uh, casting and I met her through a marketing thing that I went to and just really liked her we got along great and so I worked with her um, consistently for about a year and then we um, got you know I, I got my commercial demo done and then uh, I started, you know, basically sending my demo out to a bunch of, you know, people, both locally, because I live about 45 to 50 minutes outside the city, uh, New York. So um, I was sending it to like local production houses that were in my area. I was also sending it to New York, but I was actually getting a better response in, in the smaller markets because I wasn't you know, I wasn't that good yet. So it's like, you know, I mean, I was sending it into the New York, but not really getting much of a response yet. And Did you have a home studio at the time? Or? <clears throat> no, I was using the radio station. Right. Oh, okay. So when I, because I was, I was working during the day at, in corporate and then I would go to the radio station every day after mm. work. Right. So it was like, I was gone from seven in the morning until midnight every day. Um, and wow. so, you know, I would go to the radio station, get recordings done, get my show done. Cause I was on the, I was on the air full time, so to speak. This is <laughs> in the earlier days of voice tracking, kind of the first days of voice tracking. I was, I was on the air full time. I was on on the air between 10 and 3 every day voice tracked on a radio station while I was at my day job so right. <laughs> um listening to yourself but yeah yeah well yeah my one my boss got a kick out of it he actually <laughs> it was it was like an hour away from the station but it, it for some reason my the station that I was on came in in his office oh, and really? he would have the radio on he just got <laughs> such a kick out of it um anyway so yeah so I you know I started getting some local work um, and I would basically do that whenever I could. Um, and then, you know, and then, yeah, so, and, and what I would do, again, this was a long time ago, back in the days of we still had CDs for demos. So the last year when I really decided that I, I wanted to do this, but I, I couldn't do it yet, I didn't have anybody else to rely on for income. And um, I had my own apartment. I had a car payment. Um, mm. So I decided, like, all right. And, and it took me about a year to, yeah, yeah about a year that I worked for a big corporate, big insurance corporation at that point. Mm. And I was spending my lunch hour making phone calls to production companies. And um when and I would just call and ask if they accepted voiceover demos and I had my CDs and all of the packaging and the shipping materials and stamps with me and <laughs> I would whenever I got a yes I would you know um 
make a package up basically with the CD. And um, at the end of the lunch hour, I would go down to the mailroom and give them my packages for the day. So um, I started sending out CDs and it took about a year to really, you know, get a get a good response um, Mm. and to start, you know, getting kind of work on a a regular basis. I still wasn't making that much money, but and I was still working at the, you know, like at the radio station. So I was still recording there. Um, And that's kind of, you know, after a while, I was just like, I still wasn't making a ton of money. But I'm like, in 2004, I had just had it. I was I was just done um, with corporate. And so I just decided, you know, and to some people, I quit my quote unquote, perfectly good day job, (laughs) which I wasn't really making that much. But um, it was steady. But everybody thought I was nuts. Um, My whole family were like, they were just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I need to do this because yeah. I'm going to go insane. So I just, uh, you know, I, I ate ramen and went over my parents' house for dinner like three times a week. And um, it took me two to three years to really build up to the point where I could pay my own bills and, you know, without having to cash in on stocks and all that stuff. So it took me some time, but it was it was worth it. And, um, you know, maxed out all my credit cards <laughs> trying to, you know, just make it work. And yeah. um, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. I love that story. That's that shows the dedication and the passion that you had for this career. And, you know, now it obviously is paying back you know, for mm-hmm. many years now. Um, mm-hmm. I want to come back to that transitional period in a second, but I just want to quickly ask Peter, obviously you had left your job at this point, um, so you had the flexibility to go for your castings and what have you. Did you, you know, you had the recording experience, so did you have a home studio? And, and also were you coaching to learn the craft of voiceover or were you just sort of winging it? Um, well, first of all, the studio thing. I mm. had probably about six studios you know how oh. you rebuild all the time <laughs> oh i'm running this yeah. microphone and this will work i can do this for minimal cost and you think no i've cut corners here so <laughs> it's an iterative process you yeah. know that as well as anyone yeah it never ends um yeah. and it's like um at the time the high pr40 seemed like a good idea <laughs> what can i say um yeah. it wasn't um um it's a different mindset, though, isn't it? From a musical recording standpoint to a voiceover, it is quite a, it's quite a different oh, yeah. mental yeah. shift, isn't it? You have it? to so, unlearn some stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's... You're not so much looking for character anymore, you're looking for clarity. Yes, um, mm. because the people you're sending the stuff to... Um, okay, that's a very good point, because what a lot of people... Now, I, I'm quite amused when people... I see it. Uh, people discussing it oh what compression or treatment should i use um none that's not your job (laughs) unless you're fully producing your own audiobook or something like that um the engineer or the production house or whoever wants from you clean as possible yeah don't don't so yes it was no i don't need to make this sound good especially not in my headphones um, which is an, another big mistake people have to get over. So uh, I very, very rarely use headphones, actually. But no, I had that, so I built up various iterations. Um, I... The only training I've really taken formally um, are just straight acting lessons. 
Yeah. Um, I thought they would be a, a good idea, and they absolutely were. Have I ever been to VO coaching? Uh, no, my dirty little secret, and it's not really a secret now, I guess, is no. Not anymore. I, I've been to uh, one weekend workshop with uh, quite a famous coach um, with about eight or nine other people. Hmm. Um, did I get a lot out of it? I don't think I did. Uh, mm. I, I don't think my head was in the right place either. So that's it could have been partly my problem. Um, uh, coaches and everything can hone your skills, but I do actually believe that you need a base, a natural baseline to be able to do it. Can you string more than two words together? Mm. Um, can you understand the how the um, the meaning can change in something by the emphasis you put on a simple sentence i think that's built in to mm. a lot of people but i think some people i don't think it's something you can really teach mm. um and that's a controversial way of putting it uh, i i do agree no so i went out there straight away and the difference between Trish and I was I never had to touch on the whole CD thing because I think we mentioned earlier she's older than me <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, I was That's not straight the case. <laughs> in uh, so let's take a baseline at uh, 2006 where I hit the ground running I certainly made mistakes but this is when the the pay-to-pays were more or less up and running in sort of the configuration they are now. You had mm. the two big big players, Voices.com and Voice123. Um, so, yeah, I, I, was, I was straight in there. But also I understood at the time you had to get out to production houses as well. This You don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. Um, yeah, so some of my first jobs were... I actually store everything and I listen back to what I did back then. Oh, God, that's you know, painful. You shake your head. Uh, never listen to your work from 10 years ago and never uh, read YouTube comments or right. audio book reviews. <laughs> mm-hmm. These are the yes. rules of life. If you want to preserve your sanity, just don't do it. Um, but no, I hit the ground running. Uh, I did the P2P thing, uh, but I did actively seek work elsewhere as well. Um, e-learning stuff because of my training expertise. I have certificates for mm. training and things like that. And I got loads of pieces of paper. Um, but um, no, I capitalized on what I brought to the table because I thought that was my differentiator. Yeah. Um, I know it's a cliche, but uh, maybe it's not a, a cliche now or not even applicable, but... Uh, I wasn't another soccer mum looking for a gig, mm-hmm. of which mm-hmm. there are legion, and it's a very, very competitive market. I was in a niche. Yeah. I'm an Englishman in New York. Yeah. I can take advantage of the fact that some companies need to employ U.S. residents because they need to issue a 1099, yeah. or that I'm in the same time zone. And I identified these immediately as my market differentiators. Yeah. So do you think, um, because I'm in the same boat, of course, as well. um, Do you think starting out with a sort of built-in niche was net beneficial for you when you started? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, And I I don't know how well I would have done 
if I'd been in the UK trying to get into the commercial market. Mm. Um, in some ways, I was forced into my niche because um, the, uh, the work just wasn't there for me. I also mm. had to have the mindset of spreading myself as thin as possible. And I used to have this line with production houses and agents and stuff like that, which was, everyone needs a tame Brit in their back pocket. <laughs> you may only need me once a year, but when yeah. you need me, I'll be here for you, sort of thing. Yeah. And this is why I'm with lots of production houses. I have quite a few agents, although I've been trying to cut that list down a bit. Mm. Um but yeah, I may only get jobs from these people once or twice a year, but they add up. Yeah, um, It's not as if I can be exclusive on anyone's roster. Um, so no, from the outset, I was a niche. I was selling what I could deliver uh, and not trying to be all things to all men, which I think is a great pressure on a lot of newcomers nowadays. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, was, I wish I could take credit for having planned this, but I really didn't. I think it's interesting how the both of you sort of differ in that respect. Peter, you didn't really go the coaching route because you're already quite niche. Same with me. I did do coaching eventually, but at first I was like, well, I am just people are going to hire me for just my natural Englishness or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but Trish, you, you, you have to work harder to differentiate yourself because you are an American female in America. Um, mm. How do you approach getting your head above the parapet? I mean, of course, you have a much bigger market because we're in America and there are a lot of American mm -hmm. gigs. So uh, is that maybe why you focused a bit more on coaching or, or what was your mindset at the time? Well, I mean, I heard that like I knew that I wanted to get better before because I like I said, I really wanted to get into the New York market, New mm. York City market um, at the time. I'm not going to say it, I mean, it was still hard, but it wasn't as hard as it is now because yeah. there was m so many less people in the business. So many yeah. fewer. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so basically. It was what I felt like I needed to do in order to really compete. Because once I left my day job in 2004, I left corporate accounting, I kept my ra my radio station job, but I didn't have to, I wasn't there all day. And, you know, I just had to mm. go in each night to record. So I was all, all of a sudden free to go into the city for auditions. So right. I was marketing myself more to New York. Um, and once I got my, my demo done, I did get the home studio, um, right. you know, so I remember the engineer uh, from my radio station. He knew that I was starting to pursue VO and he basically got me, you know, helped me with getting <laughs> the right what we thought was the right microphone, um, which actually was fine is, you know, a lot of people make fun of the RE20 because it's a dynamic <laughs> mic and it's what most radio stations use, but that was what what was I was used to. I was used to hearing myself on it and just figured, okay, well, it's a good mic. It's it was, you know, it still wasn't cheap. It was like a four hundred dollar mic. Mm. Um, 
And I got one. He came over. He soldered things for me. I bought a mixer. Um, I had like this little Behringer, like six try. I still have it. Um, and, you know, he, he soldered the microphone and put it, you know, put it on. And, and we got my, you know, we got like, I got Cool Edit Pro, which was what we were using at the radio station. And yeah. um, I finally had a home studio to do stuff at home, but I was still getting a lot of calls to come into the city um, at that point. So, mm. you know, I mean, because before I left my day job, I had to take a day off. I had to take a sick day if I had an audition yeah, or if some kind of meeting. I remember meeting an agent in the city um, and I took a train, you know, for 40 minutes and uh, got on, you know, got on the train and, and went into the city. I took the day off for a 10 minute meeting. And, you know, it was like and and then I wound up not getting in because I had a day job. Um, He was really disappointed when he found that out because he didn't know before that. Mm. And he's like, well, what if I need you? You know, and of course, I I reached out after I left my job and he wouldn't even return my call. So it's like just to show you how finicky even the business was at that time. Um, So, yeah. you know, but it was it was definitely, you know, it, it was it was a long transition period, you know, and it was like I said, there was like four years in there where I was just doing it part time and, you know, but uh, but yeah, once I got the home studio and I really liked the mar, I kind of got on the marketing aspect really, really early. Yeah. Um, so I kind of learned it. And, and learned as I went along and as, thing, as the internet changed, um, I was actually a part of V, let's just call them V.com before. <laughs> um, they, were, they were at first, when they came online, they weren't that, under that name. They no. were under interactivevoices.com. That's, right. yeah. That's yeah. how early I got in. Wow. Um, and I was a, one of the first like 200 voices on Voice 123. Oh. I remember going to a, a trade show during, you know, in the city at the Jacob Javits Center. It was yeah. some kind of media thing. And I stopped by their table and the girl actually knew who I was. The girl <laughs> behind the table that worked for Voice 123. She's like, I've seen your name. She's like, you're booking like crazy. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was it was cool. And, you know, it was like just a totally I mean, the landscape has changed so oh, much. Yeah. But, um, you know, but yeah, so. So at some point, obviously, it became detrimental that you had your full-time job, so you had to make that commitment to leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was obviously a difficult decision, you know, it mm-hmm. sounds like. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I I had some stocks, um, you know, kind of in, in the bank, and I had some money saved, but basically I kind of just jumped off the cliff and just somehow, like I said, made it happen. I, You know, I, I, I did you know, use my credit card a bunch of times to let, you know, they used to send you, I don't know if they do it anymore, but um, I don't use credit cards anymore yeah. <laughs> as a result. Um, I, I paid them all. They're all paid off, but, um, you know, I, I didn't want to get myself in debt uh, like that again. So, hmm. um, I, you know, they used to send these checks that you can actually write a check, but it would go to your credit card. So I was writing those checks for my rent and my car payment. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So things racked up pretty quickly because I wasn't making the money yet. But um, I wasn't 
inconveniencing anyone but myself. You know, it was like, you know, I had my own apartment. I had a car and I had, you know, and like I said, my parents lived nearby at the time. So I could go over there and they they weren't financially supportive, but they were trying to be supportive, uh, at least emotionally. So I was I was going over there and, you know, eating, like I said, eating dinner. So at least I wasn't starving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And ramen noodles pretty much the rest of the time and just literally spending eight to 10 hours a day making phone calls and, you know, um, emailing people, uh, production houses in, you know, all over the U.S. I would actually throw a dart at a map and that's where I <laughs> called for the day. Um and just start, you know, and same thing, just started um, mailing my CD. Uh, and also at that point, I rem- you know, MP3s were just like having your demo on an MP3. And so you could actually email it to someone took some effort. Mm. It, it was it was like, well, you had to have the the technology, the, the home computer, which wasn't not everybody had at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, popping in a CD into your computer and ripping it, you know, ripping the MP3 off so you could actually, you know, I had people that, that, that in the city that I that that didn't have home computers and were handing me their CDs <laughs> yeah. to take home to create an MP3 for them because they didn't have it. It wasn't it wasn't anywhere online. Do you think the that tactic of actually picking up the phone and calling production houses and maybe even agents is that do you think still a good tactic for people or is it saturated I, now? I think so. I still do it because you mm. know what they're they're hearing your voice first of all off the yeah. bat. They don't mm. even have to click it when you email. They don't have to click anything. You know, mm. it's just like they're automatically hearing your voice. Um, a lot of people call it cold calling, but to me, it's warm calling. It's it's really something. It's something that if you're calling a production house, they're probably using voiceover people. It's not like you're trying to sell them a vacuum cleaner or something yeah. super random. You know, this is something that they probably use. They just they need to know about you. Mm. So calling and and chit chatting with people. The one thing I did find whenever I got voicemail and le- and left a message, I would very rarely get a call back. Right. Um, I had to get the person live. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, but other than that, it, it worked out really well for me. You know, like yeah. I said, I was able to build my business. Oh, and I and I kept that RE20 for the next for five years, by the way. A lot of people, like I said, a lot of people make fun of that mic, but I built my business on that microphone and nobody yeah. ever asked me what kind of mic I was using. And they yeah. still don't, even though I upgraded since. <laughs> Plus, you can use it to like hang picture frames now and bash in nails and stuff like that. If you <laughs> It's a total workhorse. I know. I still, I still have it. Yeah, I could, I could probably throw it across a, you know, a, a I don't know. Those things are rugged. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Peter, uh, let's come back to you. What are the benefits? Their net benefits. There are obvious things, like I suppose, not having a boss and things like that. But what are the benefits that you really appreciate day to day of being self-employed and freelancing versus straight-up employment? There was always, if you're working corporate, I mean, you you sit around in the coffee room and everyone runs the numbers and it's a case of, oh, look, I'm getting paid 50 bucks an hour. Whatever. It's a number. Uh, And some bright spark will always say, well, that means you're worth 100 bucks to the company. So (laughs) 
Mm. I like the idea of what I get out of the business for a financial reward, mm. if we're just talking about that, is directly proportional to what I put in. Mm. And, and yes, there's a lot of... It, it's luck. Does your face fit? Do you hit the right person at the right time? There are very, very many factors in this, but it does go back to... I can work as much or as little as I want. Yeah. Um, and that's a nice feeling. Now... It's taken me a long time to get to that point where I can be selective about this and not scrabbling for every job because it's 200 bucks and I need 200 bucks. Um, as I always say, Trish mentioned earlier, it took two or three years. That That's pretty quick. Um, mm. I usually quote to people, it, yeah, it, it takes you five years to be an overnight success. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So if you yeah. actually start working hard at it, being dedicated, it's going to take you a number of years before you're actually paying the mortgage, paying the utilities. Um, but being my own boss gives me the ability to um, just do what I want when I want. Mm -hmm. I can sit and spend a day marketing if I want, if I really think, Oh, I've let that go. Uh, unlike Trish, I can't do cold stroke warm calling. I don't like it. I'm mm. just not comfortable with it. That comes across, and I don't think I present myself well when I mm. do that. So uh, I'll reach out via email and stuff like that. And it, it's worked for me. I've got a, uh, a, a solid list of good repeat clients where work keep, just keeps coming in. Well, can you talk about that a little bit, actually? Because sure. um, I we hear a lot about the instability of being self-employed, being freelancers. But actually, if you have a lot of uh, clients, you can be fired by one or two clients. But you will, you know, unless you're you change some kind of business practice dramatically, it's not like if you're employed and you lose your job and you've lost everything. So mm -hmm. there is some sort of security when you can sort of diversify your sources of income by having so many different clients. Do you think that's that's fair to, to say, Peter? A absolutely. But a wise man once said, you're not financially stable or you're not making enough. If your biggest client was to disappear off the face of the earth, yeah. could you still pay the mortgage and blah, 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 mm. blah, blah? Mm. Um, because it could be an internal change of management in that company. Someone doesn't like your voice. They mm. may... Just change their business model, and you're just a contractor. They they don't. Yeah, you might work with nice people who want you have a good relationship with them, but in the business world, you are you're the contractor. And if they suddenly don't want to start producing this type of video, or someone else has come in, I mean, they may have found you, Jamie, and thought we prefer Jamie's voice because that bitch is getting a bit old. <laughs> I mean, it it happens. Yeah. Um, or you may have the job and they say, no, we want someone that sounds a bit more mature and older. Mm. That's not, mm -hmm. and they may go for, go for so, Trish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, you've got to be prepared for the shock of that happening. And you need to, those first few years, you need to build a buffer uh, mm. to let it to let it go um where am i at the moment it's not hand to mouth but uh, could i afford not to work again until march yeah mm. i could do that because 
I've managed to um, not waste all of my money that comes in. Um, mm. But you must be prepared for that. And that's part of the price of freedom. You mm. have the freedom to fail as well. And that's not always your choice. Yeah. So, yeah, a steady... I, I've probably got half a dozen really good e-learning clients where I get a steady stream of work and then a whole bunch of others where I production houses where I may be getting two three jobs uh, a month that sort of thing there's a balance mm. there yeah what about you Trish how secure do you feel in your voiceover work compared to when you were employed um, were you looking over your shoulder when you were employed with your accounting firm or how does it compare I, yeah, I guess I never really, all the jobs that I had in corporate, I left on my own. I mm. wasn't let go or laid off. Um, so I was really, I guess, lucky in, in that sense. So mm. I never really felt like I was looking over my shoulder, but I was in, um, I mean, I guess I felt if, if I was let go, then I could always go out and get another one. It wasn't, you know, like something I really, like I said, I didn't have a family. I still don't have a family to provide for or anything. Mm -hmm. If something were to happen, I would, I would make it work. I just always have kind of landed on my feet, so to speak. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, with VO, it's definitely, I still, after 14 years, go through the, oh my God, it's been really slow the last couple of weeks. And, yeah. you know, and I, it's usually right at the end of the year. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I'm like, Trish, seriously, like, just relax. <laughs> this yeah, happens. Every year this happens. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's, you know, and, and, and sometimes it happens during the year where it's just for some reason, it's like someone shuts the faucet off, you know, and it's mm. like, what is going on? So I, I try to spend that downtime doing, you know, marketing or sometimes doing fun stuff. Like I actually don't do a lot of marketing during the summer. Um, these days, the last probably five or six years mm. have been, um, I've been lucky enough that I can coast you know, uh, on, on my regular work, the work that comes in that people just, you know, from regular clients. Um, but generally the rest of the year, you know, cause I, I like to kind of, yeah, I play some hooky. I, I live <laughs> in a lake community and yeah. sometimes I go boating for the day or, you know, just meet a friend for lunch, like a long lunch. Um, I can do that, you know, yeah. during the summer now. So, you know, in the winter, I kind of become a hermit a bit. And, you know, I definitely work more and I market more. So, you know, it kind of, it, there is a, there's a balance, but I still don't worry that much. I've just never, you know, it's like, for some reason, I'm just never, you know, really, like I said, because I don't have anybody to, else to really provide for. I know that I can always make it work no matter what. Yeah. And what about... Um loneliness and isolation and things like that because you know going from employment often you have peers that you work with maybe you work in an office with lots of people around you and then working from home in a tiny little up, upright mm -hmm. coffin you know <laughs> so I view mm -hmm. the, these booths how, how was that transition are, are sort of social gatherings important in the VO community would you say yeah, definitely. For me, they have been. I know people that don't need it. Um, mm. You know, people that do it full time that aren't as active or active at all in the online community. Um, but uh, to me, yeah, the first couple years was was difficult because there really was fa it was before Facebook. Uh, it was, mm. you know, in 2008. Um, there was something called Voiceover Universe, which was kind of the first online 
community for VO people. And mm. that's kind of how a lot of the first friendships and and circles started, social circles in, in voiceover. That's how I right. met a lot of voiceover people because May of that year, May of 2008 is kind of when the the website came online. And then in August or August of that year, um, we had Voice 2008, which was right. out in L.A. and Beverly Hills. And a lot of us honestly just went to meet meet each other in person, yeah. you know. So I met a ton of people in the business. That's when I met Eric Shepard, mm. um, uh, Bob and Beam, uh, a, t- a ton of other people. And um, that really helped, you know, once once the online community formed and because I live by myself, um, it, it, that you know, I, that tends to be my water cooler. Um, but the first few years was a bit isolating, but it actually helped at the same time because it helped me work more without the distractions. Right. Yeah. What about you, Peter? I agree wholeheartedly. Um, mm. I did have a very we had a very healthy global uh, community of friends in the air transport industry. I we. Mm-hmm. You turn up anywhere and spend an evening with colleagues around the world. Um, and because for many years you're the road warrior, you get to know people and it's a good community. Yeah. This is why I think um, I went to my first VO conference in uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. So I'd been plugging away for a few years trying to build the business. I found an online community, uh, VOBB, yeah, and then went to my first conference, FAFCON, in 2011. Mm. It mm-hmm. was a major turning point for me because right. I got out of my, literally out of my basement um, yeah. into a community of people i got to know them online such a welcoming group of people i've never met before mm. in my life i yeah. was i was as as has been used and i think some people have you know, capitalized on using it for commercial reasons but it really <laughs> was communing with the tribe yeah. um, mm-hmm. and that was the biggest boost i had to my own psyche which then goes into how you work with your career. So I, I will say my cur- first conference in Hershey, FAFCON, was a major turning point. That and joining VOBB, which was a the community to, um, that led me into all this. But yes, working in isolation, you can be... Uh, you can forget what the rest of the world is like. So community is good. Online community, to a certain extent, is okay. Facebook is toxic. Um, I, I think it does more harm than good, to be honest. Um, it wasn't always, though. No, I agree, yeah. but it, it can be. I think it's a, a, a massive time sink because people think it's important, and it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll yeah. get wrapped up in a, a VO argument as, as well as the next guy, but then I sit back and go, why did I just waste yeah, what a hour waste of, half of my an hour. life yeah. doing this? <laughs> yes. Because, um, as I say, there's only one thing worse than Facebook, and that's YouTube comments. So, <laughs> so don't even go there. Well, except for the voiceover <laughs> groups, VO School or okay, okay. Voice Actors of New York City. Getting the, the self-promotion. <laughs> but no, um, seriously, social media 
or should we say online friendships can be absolutely fine but you、yeah. have to control them not let the platform control you which is their、mm-hmm. game plan We are lucky that we live around a major centre, though we go to meetups all the time in the city, don't we? I've I've known you guys for donkeys、oh, years now. Oh, I, I, I、um, VOs will go into to meet in the city for the opening of an envelope. Seriously, <laughs> that's true. <laughs>、um, that is true. But yeah, you can't replace face to face. And if the online stuff can be a gateway to face to face and building real relationships with people,、um, but. Yeah, to to a lot of people, it's become a replacement for that, and、yeah. as such, I think Facebook is an awful place to be. But I can't get away from it. I know it's like a bad drug. <laughs> I want to just find out your favourite and least favourite aspects of freelancing. You've touched on it a bit, Peter.、Um, so maybe Trish, what what are your favourite and least favourite parts of freelancing in general? Uh, my favorite is probably the time freedom,、mm-hmm. um, for the most part. I mean, yes, you are kind of a slave to whenever you you have a,、um, you know, a client that needs you. <laughs> But、yeah. uh, generally, if you don't have, you know, if, most of the stuff that I do is not directed and is at home. So,、mm-hmm. and I have a lot of overseas. There, I have a lot of European clients. So by the time I get up in the morning and get the scripts. That they send me, they're almost gone for the day.、Um, so、yeah. I don't need to get anything back to them until the day. I, like basically, I have all day to work on it, and sometimes the evening. So.、Um, Sometimes I, you know, I I prefer to go to the bank, the post office, the, you know, shopping,、uh, whatever, you know, grocery shopping.、Um, I I like having that freedom during the day if I want it to go and run errands and that sort of thing. That was、mm. honestly my biggest dream. The when I the thing that I would dream about when I was in corporate and in a cubicle for nine to five or sometimes more. Yeah.、Um, That was it. Was my it was the time. My my time was was really valuable, and I really liked you know like like later on today, I'm 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 letting my friend's dog out、uh, of because she has to work late, and the dog's gonna be in kind of indoors for longer than she's used to. So she called me yesterday and asked if I would be able to run over to her place and let the dog out. So yeah, you know,、cool. it's like I can I can do that kind of thing, you know, and and that's what. I, so that's my favorite, my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> is probably tax season. It's definitely、yeah. <laughs> I absolutely、oh, yeah. procrastinate to the、um, the worst,、yeah. um, which my, we're in right now,、know. right? We're that's, that's、yeah. started up. <laughs> Although I, most of the time, just because I'm lazy, I wind up.、Uh, um, Filing、it. an extension because yeah. <laughs> yeah, my CPA is like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "You, you know," and I'm like, "I know, I know." And then of course, I still, you know, you have six months, so it's like October fifteenth is the deadline for an extension. And so, like October tenth, he's calling me. Do you have your stuff? And I'm like, <laughs> "Ah." So you know, every year I tell myself I'm gonna like work on it a little bit sooner, but、um, it kind of never happens. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Those. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and it's a bit more complicated when you're self-employed as well, right? Versus. Just, yes, yeah,、so、definitely. Well, my CPA, you know, I've I've gotten into a groove now. Like, I know what he needs, it, but、mm. it's it's like probably four to six hours worth of work 
you know, just mm. to sit down and get it all done. And that's usually what I do. I can't work on it in bits and pieces. It's just the way, not the way my personality works. So I, I literally, I'm, I'm all or nothing, you know, I, I binge, uh, so to speak, on work. So it's like, I'll just sit down one day and just, or one night and just get it all done at once from start to finish. Sure. Okay, cool. What about you, Peter? Yeah, I'm just on the tax thing, I'm, I'm much the same. I tend to keep accurate uh, a, a spreadsheet um, mm. throughout the year, which I update on a daily basis. So I know what's in, out, blah, 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 expenses, whatever. And uh, tax season for me starts when the 1099s start arriving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So not yet. <laughs> Soon. I expect a yeah. deluge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had an, a, a whole list of requests. Are your details still the same? Yeah. Yes. Um, but as for the ups and downs, what's good? Obviously, the time thing, as uh, Trish said. And But I, I need to say up front, the, the biggest upside is I love my job. I get a great deal yeah. of personal satisfaction from what I do. And I mm. can look at a job and it, it, I've done it well. And it's like, yeah. That's the biggest upside because I like what I do. Mm. The biggest downside for me coming from corporate is the roller coaster of getting paid. Yeah, yes. uh, mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, seriously, I, I have, I'm chasing, I have so much money in the damn pipeline. It's ridiculous at the moment yeah. where things slowed down over Christmas. And it's like, I need to buy a new furnace. Pay right. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and we joke about it. I'm not one of these people that gets into this whole, well, pay me in 30 days, otherwise, I'm going to have a hissy fit. That ain't ever going to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> Good luck so, explaining that to like Nike or someone like that. Right. Right. So yeah. um, I, I don't even sweat it until it gets to 60. And yeah. generally speaking, most of the production houses I work pay within 45 and 60. Mm. But I've got too many that are 90 plus. I know I'm going to get the money. Absolutely mm. no. I mm. will say, you know, over a dozen years of doing this, I have never, ever been stiffed by a client. Never. Not once. Wow. Mm. So, <laughs> uh, Lucky you. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, but it's that roller coaster yeah. where the entire quarter's income can dribble in at the the end of March. And it's like January and February, you've been working and working and working. And it's like, okay, I yeah. need some checks. And then they all arrive at the end of March and you yeah. do this massive sigh of relief. And then and, it all disappears in April when the tax season oh, hits. Yes. <laughs> it's just, no, that that's the bit that still messes me up. And I spend far too much time thinking about it about fretting about whether the money's going to come in when yeah. or should I say when the money's going to come in yeah. um, but as, as I've said before I have enough buffer there that um, day to day I, I got no problem with meeting the bills it's just that uh, yes I have a distress purchase that I've been told I need a new furnace and mm -hmm. uh, um, I don't particularly want to slap seven grand down out of my savings yeah. and i'd rather wait for that seven grand check that someone owes me <laughs> yeah. and have owed me for far too long so so that's the downside for me and mm. that causes me distress at mm. times i must admit but that's just because i came from decades of getting a check every week or sorry mm. uh, every two weeks or every month and it's just going into the account and it's there 
Yeah. I think um, a lot of people would relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just, it's a, it's the roller coaster. Um, mm. And mm. that's the only thing that I don't like. Um, everything else is like, I, I love the job. I love the freedom. Um, I even love most of the people I meet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Cool. Uh, do you guys have five more minutes? Because I've got one question I forgot to ask that I really want to get to you. But if, if you have to wrap up, we can totally not do it. I'm, I'm good. good. I'm good. Okay. Okay, great. Um, now, I'd love to talk about client interactions and how they're different when essentially you are the product, when your voice is the product and you are the company that the client is dealing with versus how you dealt with clients in your previous lives in the corporate world or whatever it was. Um, how do you manage that? Do you take it more personally now or do you have to like mentally compartmentalize a little bit? Well, I didn't, you know, in corporate accounting, I didn't really deal, although, well, my very first uh, I guess accounting job, I did deal with a lot of clients um, mm. that, you know, I, I took care of a certain amount of accounts. So it was uh, it was accounts receivable. So basically I would call and ask for money. Um, mm. But I had some real I had a really good rapport with a lot of the reps that I dealt with. Right. Um, but as I after the, that one particular job, I didn't really have to I didn't really have to do that kind of work it was just everything was internal um i didn't hey there was no vendor relations or anything like that so mm. once i got into vo it was a i wasn't used to actually talking to people on the phone but i just kind of just jumped into it and yeah I, you kind of take it personally um at first mm. i mean to me i've gotten my calluses have gotten pretty thick at this point <laughs> yeah. and you know um I, I do remember uh, because it really affected me at the time and the guy, um, there was a, a guy that I sent my demo to and he emailed me back and said, you know, I, I really prefer uh, females with like a lower, like lower register voice mm -hmm. and not as not. He was trying to be nice, but I, I know obviously I've been in the business long enough. I know I have a really nasal sound. Um, so, you know, it's just something that I obviously can't do anything about. It's just my natural voice. But he basically emailed me and said, yeah, I, I kind of prefer, you know, females that are a little more like talk a little more from their their throats instead of, you know, in the upper whatever head mm. region or how I don't remember exactly. This was the first couple of years. And I remember doing a sample for him, trying to get his business, like tr like like recording something that I thought was less nasal mm. and emailing it to him and saying, I can do this. Like, if that's kind of the sound that you prefer, then I can do that. Mm. But... Um, and he still he did answer me, but he was like, "Yeah, it's still not, it's still not." I basically he didn't like my voice, and, yeah. and that happens. And so I, mm -hmm. obviously, after all these years, it's stuck in my head, and it did affect me at the time. I yeah. haven't thought about that in quite some time. But you kind of just get you <laughs> sorry know, to reopen you, that wound. <laughs> yeah, I know, could not be able to sleep tonight. Um, but yeah, it's it's 
I don't really think about it anymore. It's mm. it's something that it is what it is, and some people like it, and some people don't. I certainly have my preferences with the type of voices that I like listening to. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be sing, you know, I'm very picky with singers, mm. and um, so you know, with bands and stuff. So I, yeah, I don't really think too much about it, but it, it definitely can be something that affects you early on. Yeah. Um, if you're if if you don't have those, you know, those like I said, calluses built up yet. Sure. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. What about you, Peter? Yeah, I can actually relate to this quite uh, quite well. Uh, in mm. corporate where I was, there was certainly a hierarchy, and being a long time with the company when you're coming from like uh, the bottom of the totem pole to pretty you know up this in the top regions, and also in the position I was in, I was um, hiring subcontract subcontractors and things like that. Um, so you do develop these business relationships. You know where you sit in the scheme of things. And you always act appropriately because it's corporate. <laughs> so yeah. You don't go up to the CEO and go, how's it going, mate? And, unless you actually, you know, you, both your daughters are on the same soccer team or something like mm -hmm. that. You have a personal yeah. relationship outside. But there is... A hierarchy. I mean, mm. it, it generally comes with the size of the office and the amount of leather on your chair, that sort of thing. But right. people respect that, whether they know they're doing it or not. Um, it's just how you fall into it. When I transitioned over, um, it always became very clear. I mean, I always had trouble with that hierarchy thing anyway. Mm. Got me into trouble a few times. But <laughs> I always always let the client dictate how they want to be dealt with. Mm. Um, mm. I have clients who consider me an absolute partner in what we're doing. Yeah. It's our project and we work together on it. And actually, to be honest, usually the ones that pay a little better as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. There mm -hmm. is a common goal. There are others that simply treat you like a, a commodity. This is a job do the job, wasn't happy with that, do it again, or that sentence, or whatever. And it's very abrupt. It's very terse, very businesslike, but it's still the job. You're doing the job. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just they seem to think, well, seem to think, that sounds like a pejorative. Um, they are the client, and they want to be treated like the client. Yeah. Uh, and if you sense that, then you have to respect that uh, because they're the ones with the checkbook yeah never forget who holds the checkbook mm -hmm. others it's like oh hi pete how's it going oh mike great what we got to do and then you work through it and you see the script and you go i i think that could be a bit you know it doesn't and they go oh yeah you know you're right you know, mm. hold on i gotta run that past legal or they just give you the go ahead others it's no it's the script you do what you're told yeah. Okay. Right. I know you'll be back in a couple of weeks for a complete redo. I was trying to help. Yes. <laughs> but um, I just went through that actually. No. I, I always, <laughs> always, always let the client dictate how they want to be treated. Yeah. Uh, just out of respect because they are the client. They're giving you work. Um, some want a casual relationship, some want a more formal one. Have you had any stinging feedback like Trisha's situation or does that not? No, but I mean, from, from day one, it's always been a case of um, people have always said they either like your voice or they don't like your voice. And mm. if they don't like your voice, it could be because you sound like 
Uncle Arthur, who everyone hates. Right. It, it, yeah. it could be a subliminal thing. Yeah, association. Or yeah. you're not right for the product. You sound mm. too old, too young. Mm. They don't like your tone. Oh, it's not quite the flavour of RP we were looking for. We wanted more, mm. slightly more BBC. Um, uh, and in my case, oh, we were actually looking for a male. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always, I think partly just to, to roll back, having gone through the environment since like... Um, taking this this kid to auditions all the time and going through it. I've always understood from day one going into this that rejection is something you just have to deal with and you have to roll with it. You can't take it personally. Mm. You don't have to wrap it up like, it's not rejection, it's just someone else was selected. Oh, just get off yourself. Put it on a gif and make a... Uh, a picture out of it Um, they didn't want you however you want to wrap it up live with it move on Um, and that's always been my mindset but I can certainly see if someone were to turn around and say you're crap at this Mm. I'd go I hate you yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, is, it is also worthwhile trying to sort of keep a note of any regular feedback that you get the thing that I used to get a lot was you know be a bit more enthusiastic um, and I made note of that and I generally over deliver on what I think is the correct level of enthusiasm now and now that's become my normal but um, yeah there is there are some that can sort of shake your confidence a little bit I've never been accused of being over-enthusiastic about anything. <laughs> no, no. That seems to be a British thing, maybe. <laughs> okay, so let's just wrap things up with some final bits of advice. So what would you advise for people who are in that transitional period where they're doing a job, maybe they've booked a few gigs on voiceover, but they're unsure how to move forward? Would you have any words of wisdom or some maybe tactics that may help them to fully commit to voiceover? Um, Trish, what do you think? Um, I mean, it's just all about marketing, Mark, you know, don't, once you start getting jobs, don't give up on that because Mm. it's, it's something that you're always going to need to do. But if you're not getting work, um, market and market to clients that, you know, I, I've had the, I don't know if any, I don't know if I got it from someone or, um, if it was something that I heard or if I actually made it up, I may have, but (laughs) you know, I, I've always said, look for clients, not jobs. Um, you know, we, we yeah. audition so much for one off, one off jobs all the time. Look for companies that put you on a roster and that have you and, yeah. and, 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 you know, offer that list, that small list usually, um, to clients. And then you hear from them a few times a year or more. Um, you know, so, so get on, you know, try, try to get, you know, with advertising agencies and production companies, instead of just doing all of these auditions that are taking up a ton of your time on these pay to plays that, you know, are just one off, you know, a lot, sometimes you'll get a regular, regular client from the pay to plays, but, uh, I still have a few, actually, from my early days. I'm not a paid, I'm not on any paid plays as a, as a paid member anymore. But um, you know, I still have a few clients left over. But yeah, so just look for it to work directly. You know, mm. make relationships with uh, with the client, and um, you'll do a lot better than people that are just auditioning for every single job. All right, I love that. What about you, Peter? Unusually, I'm going to be a little more um, touchy-feely than Trish on this one. Go for it. 
Um, back Should when I started fun. this, um, I was given a wooden plaque that says, follow your dreams. I still have it in front of mm. me. Now, if you're working in a job you don't like, let's assume that you've managed to fritter away a little bit of buffer money in there. The moment, and I'm assuming as well, working full time is actually hindering you getting further in, in VO because at the time, mm. thing, as, as Trish outlined perfectly earlier, when you think you can do it, just do it because in a year's time, when you still haven't done it, you'll regret not doing it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that sounds, that's very easy for me to say because I, I'd already made the decision. I jumped without a safety net and it, that was my big decision. Yeah. But if you honestly feel you've got a trajectory with what you're doing and the day job is getting in the way and you hate the day job, just go for it. And yeah. please... Um, I've got the number of a few good bankruptcy bankruptcy lawyers, so uh, <laughs> we can find them on the internet. But no, seriously, yeah. I think if you don't do it, you'll only regret not doing it if you've got the chops for it and the business acumen. That doesn't mean this is a great hobby. I'm going to give up my job. This yeah. means I've got a business plan. I've got a buffer. It's too easy to be afraid of making that leap. But mm. um, someone told me once, I think it's a uh, universal truth that in the US, at least, you're only two weeks away from uh, um, being unemployed anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Do what I did. Leap before you were pushed. Um, <laughs> so that's what I'd say. Just I love it. do it. I love it. <laughs> well, Trish and Bish, thank you both. <laughs> you're thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Yeah, that was great. And uh, how do we find out more about you? Well, I don't need to, but <laughs> Trish. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, mine is voiceoversbytrish.com. And I'm on social media all over the place. So just do a search for Trish Voice or Trish's Voice and I'll probably come up. Cool. What about you, Peter? I'm everywhere as Peter Bishop VO. Um website facebook but i will get in a plug here if you want to go to one website world-voices.org investigate the organization if you're not already a member this isn't a hard sell it's a soft sell take a look come on in we're friendly see you're actually pretty good at that cold calling thing pc maybe you should <laughs> Thank you to this week's guests. Thanks also to JMC Demos and IPDTL who sponsor the show. Thanks to Backstage Magazine and a special shout out to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. We'll see you again next time.